Thank you for checking out the City Church Podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know you are loved. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you. All right. It's good to be here with you and uh, to see all of you. We're just really glad for our friendship with the Colters that uh, has lasted for decades. We've known each other for more than 35 years. So I knew your pastor, Pastor Brent, when he was very, very young. And uh, I rejoice to see what God is doing in his life and the church. And for those of you who come regularly, know that we come once a year. You know, if you pray pray for someone and you support them, then it's nice to hear what, uh, what God is doing. And so Dr. Coulter did a great introduction but basically, we're planting churches in Europe. Uh, that's the continent where the Apostle Paul preached and Christianity spread all over the world. And it is now the least Christian continent on the planet. Think about it. Things have changed a lot. Mission, missions, you know, decades ago, you would think of uh, South America or maybe Africa. And now it's uh, no longer like that. The... Uh, there's a lot happening in Africa. Some of the largest churches in the world are in Africa right now. There's a lot happening in South America. And the place that is spiritually dying is Europe. It, uh, it, it has uh, less than 2% of Europeans are born again. Less than 2 out of 100 uh, Europeans that you meet know Jesus. So we're planting churches and uh, we have a ministerial there. And we're translating and printing books. That's Connie's department, my wife. She says, hello. She's preaching in Barry this morning. So we're making the devil double mad because there's two Jurgentis preaching at the same time. He's not happy about that. And uh, so, but we're, we don't care about that. We're out to make his life miserable, as miserable as possible. And uh, do good for the kingdom of God. And so that's our department, and we translated more than 60 books uh, in Italian. In English, we're real privileged because we can, uh, you know, find a lot of material, good Christian material in English. Those of you who come from other countries know and speak other languages know that that is not always a reality. And so that's an important part of what we do. So thank you for praying for us, and thank you for uh, helping us and supporting us. So this morning, I have something that I believe is from God that will uh, help us and bless us and encourage us and focus us. And uh, we're going to be respectful of your time, even though I'm Italian and we believe in long meals and long sermons. We're going to concentrate, reflect on the Word. I'd like to go through a passage of the Bible, reflect with you, and then uh, we'll uh, send you home to eat. Because when I heard barbecue... I'm already starting to get hungry. (laughs) Luke chapter 19. And in Luke chapter 19, uh, let me tell you what happens here. Jesus is uh, at the end of his public ministry in Galilee. His ministry started in Luke chapter 4 where he preached the sermon in the synagogue, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and the Lord has anointed me to preach. And uh, uh, he did that right after he faced 
Satan in the desert and won. And then he goes through a preaching uh, tour of Galilee where he goes around teaching, preaching, and healing. Masses are following him. And we're at the end of this phase. Now Jesus is coming to Jericho. Then he's on his way to Jerusalem. And then in Jerusalem, he's going to teach the parables of the end time, last time events. He's going to rebuke the Pharisees for being too religious. And then there's the Last Supper, and then there's the betrayal, and then uh, the trial, and the crucifixion, the death, and then the resurrection. So this is uh, the last main event in his tour of teaching, preaching, and healing. And we're going to look at him in Jericho, where... Uh, he has an encounter with a man named Zacchaeus. And uh, uh, what happened just before this, in Jericho also, on the outskirts, he healed a blind man called Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is the one that Jesus was walking by, and Jesus wasn't stopping, and so he yelled, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus kept on going and wasn't stopping, but the more Jesus walked away, the more Bartimaeus kept on yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, he just kept on yelling. And then he just went after and grabbed uh, his healing. And uh, right after this, if you look in your Bible at your titles, Jesus just had an encounter with Bartimaeus on the way to Jericho. And now uh, he uh, comes and he has this wonderful interaction with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is the rich tax collector that climbed on a tree and he wanted to see Jesus because he was too short and he couldn't see Jesus. And then Jesus says to him, you know what? I'm going to come to your house today and I'm going to stay at your house. I'm going to be a guest at your house. And so that's a little background of uh, what we're going to talk about. And uh, we're just going to get right into the scripture, verse by verse, right? Starting with verse one. And we're going to dig in there and see what God says to us through his word. Father, I thank you this morning in Jesus' name. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. Speak to us through the word, Father. And help us to understand your word through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for revelation. Thank you for understanding. Father, we want to see ourselves in the Bible we want to look into the mirror of the word and locate ourselves so that we can see ourselves, see where we're at, and change and grow and be transformed by your power, Father. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for inspiring us this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So here is Jesus, and he comes to, 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 to this city called Jericho. And if you see in the PowerPoint in verse 1, Jesus is coming to Jericho, and he's going through the town. Jericho, uh, historians tell us, is the oldest, the most ancient uh, inhabited city, continuously inhabited city. It's one of the uh, cities where uh, civilization and society started. And, you, you know, it's famous in the Old Testament because Joshua and his troops, you know, they were praising God, marched around the city, and the walls fell. But then it was rebuilt, and it was continuously inhabited. And Jericho is uh, uh, not only the oldest city, but it's also uh, one, of, one, of the, one of the most ancient cities, but it's also, it's the lowest city 
on planet Earth. It's 300 meters below uh, sea level. You have to go down to Jericho, literally. And uh, you remember in the New Testament, Jesus taught the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the man was on his way to Jericho. He was going down to Jericho. And then, as I said, Bartimaeus was healed there. And then this, this wonderful encounter that Jesus had with Zacchaeus. Now, this passage usually is, uh, we associate it with a children's story. And we have, you know, nice children's songs and so on. But uh, really, it is a rich passage. It's a deep passage. It's not just a children's fable. Jesus really did go to Jericho, really met with a man called Zacchaeus. And I believe that it happened exactly that way. And I believe that uh, the type of transformation that Zacchaeus undergoes can happen today still. Do you believe that with me? The instantaneous, radical transformations, deep transformation, like it happened to Zacchaeus. That's why, you know, we need to slow down and go through it and look at it. Because it's not just a children's story. It's something that has... All of Luke's major themes are in the story of Zacchaeus, like saving the lost, uh, the urgency of today. Today is the day of salvation. The importance of transformation. These are all deep themes that uh, uh, Luke uh, writes about in his gospel. And so Jesus goes to Jericho, and the Bible tells us in verse 2, that at Jericho, there's this man called Zacchaeus. And so in verse 2, please, thanks. And then, uh, so the spotlight is immediately on one man. He's, there's a whole city, but the, the, the spotlight shines on one particular man, whose name is Zacchaeus. And Luke is exquisite, Dr. Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he gives us, these wonderful details, you know, we, we can, we can, we can uh, as psychologists, we can do a detailed uh, character analysis of, uh, of, of Zacchaeus' personality. We can pin him down real easily by the, the details that Luke gives us. So the first thing that Luke tells us about Zacchaeus is that he was a tax collector. And you know, right away you think, tax collector, right? Think Revenue Canada. What are your feelings about that? <laughs> right, see? See, tax collector equals Revenue Canada. Well, we don't have, we obey, we pay our taxes and thank God for our government, but we, we don't have the happiest feelings, you know. When you get a letter from Revenue Canada that says that you're going to be audited, you don't automatically jump for joy and say, woo! I couldn't wait for this. I was really waiting for this and looking forward to it. See, that puts us in the right mindset. But it's a lot worse than that because you know that at that time the Roman Empire occupied Israel. So Israel, the Israelites were oppressed, occupied people by a foreign power. So Zacchaeus, you know, the problem with Zacchaeus wasn't that he just collected the taxes. I mean, it would have been bad enough he just collected them for uh, the Jewish government, right? But he collected them for the Roman government. That makes him not only, you know, uh, uh, a, a revenue uh, Israel worker, but it made, it's worse. He worked for an enemy 
he worked for an oppressive power. So he collected taxes and revenue for an occupying enemy army. So he was not really liked in town. Uh, probably all the indication that we have is that he was the most despised and hated man in town. He just, Zacchaeus was not liked. And then Luke goes on to tell us that he had become very rich. That's a nice Bible way of saying he was filthy rich. You know where Luke, and Luke was very elegant. Luke in the book of Acts says, you know, there was no small, there was no small argument between Paul and Barnabas. It means they fought like heck. <laughs> you know, they were yelling and screaming. It's an elegant way of saying, you know, they really had a big argument. You know, no small argument. In Luke's language means they had an all out bet. They just separated. They, they fought some, but they just separated, right? So here, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus is filthy rich. And we know that tax collectors at that time, they skinned money. They're kind of like the mafia, you know, they skinned money off the top. So if the taxes were 10, they would charge you 15. And they would give the Roman government 10 and pocket 5. Right? And he wasn't just any tax collector. He was like the chief tax collector. You know that Matthew, one of the followers of Jesus, was a tax collector too. You know that, right? You remember that? Uh, so it means that, but chief tax collector means he was, he was in that area, he was in charge of it all. So he was uh, the chief of all, the, he was over Matthew too. So not only did he steal from the people, but he stole from the other tax collectors too. And so this man is there, and he is, works for an oppressive enemy power, and he is filthy rich, and he's not very honest. And, but the Bible says this, it says that, this is really interesting, right? That he uh, was... Curious. Look at verse 3. Because it says that he, tr he tried to see Jesus. He wanted to get a look at Jesus. So that tells me this, that he had a curious nature. Somehow he must have heard about Jesus. And he wanted to see him. Now see, that, that already breaks the mold. Because we don't think of someone filthy rich in the world, you know, really worldly, uh, you know, uh, 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 cursing and getting drunk as, well, as worldly as you can. We don't associate that type of personality with someone who's actually seeking Jesus or seeking for God. So Luke is trying to focus our attention, see, and you say, well, I wonder how many people we meet during the week, you know, whether at work or wherever, that seem to be really far away from God and seem to have no interest in God whatsoever, yet they're curious. And then there we are, and God has us there like God had Jesus there. And maybe we don't do anything about, we don't realize the importance of the opportunity that God is giving us. And so he's curious, 
And then the next detail that we have about Zacchaeus, look at all these details that we have, is that he was short. He was so short, unusually short. My wife is not extremely tall. She's what we call petite. But Zacchaeus was even shorter than that. Now we might not think, you know, in modern times we don't think about it much because anytime you need a novel or you read a novel or you, you know, read a Dan Brown novel, in modern literature, it's descriptions are really, really important. It's one of the first things you do, right? There was a house and it was old and it was had cracks and it was, or someone walked in the room and he was tall, blonde and blue eyes and the muscles. It, descriptions are really important, but in the Gospels, there aren't, and, and the epistles in the New Testament, there's no description. People are not described. You know, was the Apostle Paul tall or short? We don't know because the Bible doesn't describe him. Was Peter fat or skinny? We don't know. The Bible doesn't describe him. We have all these movies about Jesus, right? And we think he is, you know, uh, this tall and, and, and parted brown hair and hazel eyes. And we don't know anything about Jesus because in a modern book it would say Jesus walked in the room and, you know, and he was 5'8", uh, he was 5', uh, whatever he was, right? And he, wa he weighed so much and he had this beautiful flowing hair, you know, that blew in the wind and he had these beautiful hazelnut eyes that pierced. There, are, there is no despair description of Jesus in the Bible. All our movies and all the things that we do are off. And probably we need, we'd be surprised at what Jesus looked like because, he, you know, if anything, is he looked, he looked Middle Eastern, olive skin. And so the fact that Luke tells us that he's short, he's underscoring something. It's really important. Because it helps us in our profile. So he's short. He was so short that he couldn't see over the crowd. And so what does he do? What does the Bible tell us he does? He climbs on a tree. So that tells me a lot too because that means this, that Zacchaeus had a can-do attitude, right? He read the power of positive thinking. He read all the books and chapters on self-help. You can do anything. You can be anything. You can overcome. Through persistence and ingenuity, you can overcome any obstacle. And so we know these are important details. See, that's why we need, when we read the Bible, when we read the Bible, we need to slow down. Don't go fast. There's no one running after you. You need to slow down at the speed of, because revelation takes time and takes devotion. And it, our Bible needs to be read prayerfully or we would miss all these things. And so Zacchaeus is a type of guy. We can do anything. We can solve any problem. And so through ingenuity and through persistence, he overcomes this handicap that he has of being too short by climbing on a tree so that he can see Jesus. And then... Isn't that a good profile? Do we get the picture now of this guy who Zacchaeus is? Not a very likable guy. If I were to go out and eat pizza with someone, I would not go with Zacchaeus. 
Neither would most of you go to Zacchaeus. Go with Zacchaeus. Not, not, not a fun guy. Not a nice guy. And he was notoriously known as an evil, crooked, mean, bad person. Kind of like an Uncle Scrooge. <laughs> right? So here comes Jesus. The wonderful Jesus. Who is the incarnation of the love of God and the mercy of God and the compassion of God. Who died on the cross to forgive our sins and give us eternal life. And who does not treat us according to our sins. See, this is that Jesus in action. Those are nice concepts to know. You know, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions. Yet we tend to look down at someone that's a sinner. Well, then we haven't, we haven't really interiorized that concept of God doesn't treat us according to our sins. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So a lot of times, a better way to understand those concepts is to see them in action. An unbiased Jesus who unconditionally loves all people. And if anything, he goes after the ones that are ostracized by society. Because it's the parable of the good Samaritan. Not the good religious Pharisee. But the good Samaritan, and by definition at that time, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. It's like saying an honest crook or a sincere liar. No such thing. If you're a Samaritan, you were just scum. You were just a half-breed that was despised. Yet Jesus taught the parable of the good Samaritan. And he gave some of the most important revelation about God. You know, he is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He didn't say that to the high priest or to Peter. He said that to a Samaritan woman. Double strike at that time. Not only was she a Samaritan, wrong nationality, wrong ethnicity. But a woman, and you know, a rabbis would have nothing to do with women because they were second class citizens. So here's Jesus. See, this is the Jesus that I know and love. I do not like religiosity. It really bothers me. It gets under my skin. But I love God and I love the Jesus of the Gospels. It's just like Jesus to color outside the lines and think outside the, 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 think outside the box and do something totally revolutionary to target on purpose, on purpose, the most notorious and disliked person in town. I just like that. <laughs> right? And so here he is, and then look at all these wonderful details, right? Jesus comes in verse 5, and... The first, notice this, here's the first thing, is he initiates the contact with Zacchaeus. This is phenomenal. Now with Bartimaeus, Jesus did not initiate, but Bartimaeus had to scream to get his attention. But here, Jesus takes the initiative, takes the first step, and he initiates the contact with Zacchaeus. And then notice that 
It says that he looked up. Do you see that? He looked up. Now you have to understand Bible language. It's, it's more than just look up. It's, it's, you know, when Jesus touched the leper, you could not touch lepers at that time because you would be, it was ceremonially unclean. But Jesus went out of his way to touch lepers on purpose. The extra touch. The, the, the hug, the, the being touched by God. Looked up, remember this, Zacchaeus was short. Everybody, this is a loaded phrase, he looked up. Because everybody had always looked down at Zacchaeus. When people looked at Zacchaeus, they would look down. Here is Jesus, God incarnate, compassion incarnate, looking up to him. Maybe the first time anybody looked up to him. And then he called them by name. Do you see that? Is that written there? Said Zacchaeus, and the name is so important. Now, obviously, this is a divine appointment that God had set up. As far as we know, Jesus never met Zacchaeus before. And so the name, he knows us by name. And God likes to call us by name. You know, hey, Adam, where are you, Adam? Moses. Here I am. Abraham. Here I am. Peter. Put your name in there. One day Jesus came in my life, called me my name and transformed my life. One day he came in your life and transformed your life. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you're not serving him. This is the morning when he's calling you by name to transform your life. So he called them by name. He initiates the conversation. And then he tells them, hey, come on down. Because today, notice, see, today, right? Today is an important word in, in Luke. When Jesus preached in Luke 4, his first message in the synagogue, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then he told them, today the scripture is fulfilled. It's one of the important themes of Luke, today. And then he tells them, I'm going to be a guest in your house today. There's a sense of urgency. Now, today, I'm coming now. And so verse 6 is wonderful. It tells us, basically, Luke repeats what Jesus just said. Told us that Zacchaeus did exactly that. He quickly came down uh, off the tree. And then notice what it said. This is astounding. In great excitement and joy. Now, how many of you have ever gone to your accountant and saw him or her in great excitement and joy? Or a banker, great excitement and joy. Or, or a revenue, great, not unless Jesus has touched your life. This is an amazing, instantaneous, profound transformation. It's amazing. And Jesus hasn't even preached yet. He hasn't even taught yet. It's just the presence of Jesus that radically transforms this man. Do you believe that your presence in your office, where you work, 
without teaching long sermons can transform people's lives because God is in you. Do you believe that you being the temple of God, when you walk in a place, your presence can just transform? I believe it does. This is the ministry of presence. Jesus hasn't taught yet, hasn't preached yet. It's amazing, really. Just with this presence, he radically transformed this man. It's totally amazing to me. And then in verse 7, what happens in verse 7? Well, the religious people and the Pharisees, they are upset. Religious people, there's always someone that wants to rain on your parade. There's always a party pooper. Hey, you know, I got saved. I'm full of joy. This and that. I found this. You know, that's the type of people. You know, that was want to ruin your party, your fun, your transformation. They're upset. They're not happy. They're not happy because Jesus, I mean, Jesus, is, Jesus claims to be God. Doesn't he know that he's going to the wrong house? He's making a mistake. Doesn't he know that he's going to the house of the worst sinner in town? What's the matter with Jesus? He claims to be God. and Doesn't he know that this is a sinner? We don't associate with people like that. So they're angry. They're upset. And they were always upset with Jesus. In, in Luke, this is the third time that religious people are upset with Jesus because he goes to the wrong house. The first time was with Matthew. He went to Levi's house and all hell broke loose with the religious people. He said, we don't go to tax collectors' homes. And then the second time is in Luke 15. And you know, he goes and again, they didn't understand the importance of the ministry of presence, of going, of honoring unsafe people, of respecting unsafe, even though we don't agree with what they do. And you know, uh, and, and, and then in Luke 15, Jesus has to tell them, you remember where he told them the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, right? And they still didn't get it. They were like, in Italian we say, zucone, hard head, you know, what's the matter with you? Your religiosity is blinding you from the love of God and the mercy of God and reaching out people. Well, I'm worried that I'm going to get contaminated. Don't you understand that the, the New Testament teaches that it's not the unsaved that contaminate you. Paul in the book of Corinthians wrote that it's the, it's the saved that sanctifies the unsaved. Your presence when you walk in a situation, because you have God in you and you're saved, sanctifies, changes the whole atmosphere. You're the, it should not be the world changing us, it should be us changing the world. So here he is, isn't that wonderful? And they're grumbling, they're upset. Says, he's a notorious sinner. We don't go to sinners' home. The problem is that if that is our standard, that Jesus can't go to sinners' home, then we would all be lost. The church would be empty. He couldn't go anywhere. 
Because we've all missed it and fallen short of the glory of God. Isn't that right? So in verse 8, look at Zacchaeus. Jesus hasn't preached yet. Look at this amazing transformation. He says, you know what? I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And the people that I cheated, I will give back four times as much. That's way more than the law requires. Do you see the difference between the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler, the rich young ruler was rich too. But he didn't open his heart to God. Zacchaeus was rich and he opened his heart to God. And it's amazing that Jesus didn't, you know, this would be a great opportunity for religious people to talk about the evil of riches. And Jesus does not preach on the evil of riches. Because we misapply and we think that, you know, riches are evil. Riches are not evil. Loving riches is evil. The problem with the rich young ruler is not that he had money, it's that he loved money more than God. Zacchaeus loved God more than money. And it'd be wrong to take a specific passage like the rich young ruler and say, apply it to every, and say to every rich person, you have to give everything away. You don't have to give everything away. Jesus did not tell Zacchaeus to give everything away like he did the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, I repeat, had to do it because he had issues. Money was his idol. If anything is your idol, you have to remove it. It could be TV, it could be sports, it could be anything. You can't have something that, you, that we love more than God. The issue was idolatry, what you're attached to. But here, he gives half of it, doesn't give it all. And the Bible, if you're going to tell what to, you know, if you're rich and you're going to give instructions to the rich, you can't use a specific incident like the rich young ruler. You have to use instructions that God is giving to all the rich people. That apply to all. Because you may not have the same problem that the rich young ruler had. Look at here real quickly. I'll show you. Look. So they went to John the Baptist. Give me the next verse. And John the Baptist, you know, was not particularly, uh, you know, friendly. And if you remember, leave it there. It's fine. John the Baptist told the tax collectors that came. He said, just be honest and collect only what is required. And then Paul wrote to Timothy and he says, tell all the rich people. He doesn't say give everything away. He said, you know, uh, trusting God. See, that's the main issue. Trusting God. Don't trust in riches. And do good with your money. And be generous. Your culture here. Be generous. So let's get back to the story. So Jesus, look at what he says in verse 9. He says, today salvation has come to this house. Because... This man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. So, isn't that amazing? There's the themes in Luke. Today is the day of salvation. Salvation is today. That urgency to reach people and to preach the gospel. And then in conclusion in verse 10. Look at verse 10. This is 
no small verse. That's why this is not just a, a you know a children's story. This is a big, huge theme. It's the theme of the book of Luke. It's the theme of Jesus' life. Because the Son of Man came to do what? To seek and save what? Those who are lost. It's a search and rescue operation. And in conclusion, reflecting it's amazing to me that Jesus did not point the finger at Zacchaeus, did not rebuke him, did not preach to him, looked up to him, and it was just his presence that radically transformed Zacchaeus. And Jesus honored him. See, this is where the tension is, and we have difficulty, right? We want to be sanctified and separate, and we should. But that does not mean being disrespectful, and that does not mean agree honoring if I honor someone, even the worst sinner in town. It doesn't mean I agree with what he's doing. I can strongly disagree. I strongly disagree with the way Zacchaeus was mean and crook and, and, and stealing money. And I can strongly disagree with that and still find it in me, find a way like Jesus did, who's my sublime example of honoring him. Anyone can find dirt on anybody. It's easy to find dirt. The woman they caught on adultery, you know, they found dirt and they were looking for dirt. You look for dirt, but what's what takes more skill is to find the gold in someone. So what did Jesus latch on to? Do you know what Zacchaeus means in the Greek? Look up Zacchaeus in the Greek in your, in, your, in your electronic Bible. The name Zacchaeus means pure. So Zacchaeus was pure, but good heart. But like with most of us, life can ruin us. Mess us up. We survive. We become mean. We wear masks. The great skill of Jesus was to sift through all of that and honor Zacchaeus and find something good to latch on to. So what do you latch on to when a notorious sinner is, is swearing and cursing God? You latch on to the passion. You say, your passion is good. Let's see if we can turn the passion instead of cursing God. Let's see if we can turn it into something else better. I want God to make me more and more skilled in just my presence being able to touch people and trying to find something good so I can honor. The Bible says honor all, everyone, saved and unsaved. Not flatter. 
There's a difference between honoring and flattery is saying something not true to manipulate and extort and get something out of people. Jesus didn't flatter, he honored. And the honor that Zacchaeus did, coupled with the presence of God, changed his life. Isn't that a good example to follow? So think of all the people that we're going to meet this week who seem like they're far away from God and ask God how he can use you and your presence to honor them and transform them and touch them. Amen. Thank you for your support. If you want to connect with us, you can find us online at thecitychurch.ca. 